Daniela Westbrook, welcome to Sisterhood HQ. Oh, hi. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, thanks for coming on. So we have been massive fans of yours for decades. You've been in the spotlight. You've been a child star. I read somewhere that you said you always knew you was going to be famous. When did you first realise that? Do you know what? When I first ever saw the programme Grange Hill, yeah. when I was a kid, I watched it. And I remember coming home from school and I'm watching it and I thought, I'm going to be on that show. Wow. And I said to my mum, I'm going to do that. My mum was like, well, how are you going to do that? You go to a primary school around the corner. I said, no, find out how you could, how you do it. I want to do that. And I always wanted to be a show jumper. I always used to have horses and do dressage competitions and stuff like that. Yeah. And my mum said, well, well, what are you going to do? You're only like, I was like seven, eight years old. I said, I want to do that. And I drove her mad till I was nine. Anyway, she found out about Sylvia Youngs and off I went. And I, sure enough, got into Grange Hill and from there EastEnders and it just went from there, really. Wow. So it, was your, feeling. so it was your mum supportive of you, even at a young age? Yeah, yeah. You know, my parents were, you know, they're just normal people, worked hard. You know, I come from quite a traveller background from my dad's side of the family. Um, mm. So all we've ever done is ride horses and stuff and, and been hardworking people. Um, but yeah, I mean, they had no idea about the industry at all. They never knew anybody that was famous or, you know, worked that well. They, you know, worked that way. And my mom Even worked as a, in the Balbon as a Playboy it, Bunny Girl. Um, go yeah, as a croupier in the Balbon, like in the casino. Wow. Um, and did all that. And a waitress, so she used to serve like the Who and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and all that in the 70s. And that's really, you know, that's all she knew of the industry. So even at a young age, you were in like adverts for Coca-Cola and really major brands, wasn't you? Yeah, I worked from seven, no, um, from nine years old, actually. It wasn't, wasn't seven. I was nine years old and I worked for Colgate. Um, I worked with Queen. I worked with The Who. I worked with loads of people, to be honest. I, I mean, I've done all Royal Variety performances with some big stars. I did a choir for Whitney Houston. I've done loads of stuff. So, yeah, did you, I've done quite did a Did you feel like you were just born to be a star? No, I just wanted to go to Sylvia Young's. I wanted to go to stage school. I wanted to be like that program on Telly Fame, you know, where everyone danced yeah. and it was fun, like High School Musical. I just liked that. I loved the American Dream and all that sort of stuff, you know, all them cheesy American films. And I used to love all that dirty dancing. And that's all I wanted to be. I just wanted, that's all I cared about was, you know, just being on stage and doing stuff like that. So, what was it like having it. to go to the auditions? Do you know what? It was weird because it was like, I don't know, it's like like what you see on telly and all, they're all lined up, everyone's in a line and you'll queue up and you'll go on the stage and you'll line up and they say yes, no, yes, no. You know, and you have to get up and do a piece or do a song or do a dance. And yeah, and it was good fun. It was scary, but it was good fun. But it learned, it's funny because I was talking to my friend about this last week and we were talking about, a friend of mine from stage school, and we were talking about rejection. And, you know, whether it comes from your family or from school or getting up in class and having to read and, and getting your words jumbled up and, and all that stuff like that gives you embarrassment. When you're a child, you don't realise their feelings and emotions. No. And as you get older, you realise how much rejection has played a big part on your life and your personality and how Absolutely. it makes you the person you are. And you don't realise that until, I mean, it can be the smallest of things like not being able to stand up in class and read out loud or somebody saying not picking you for a, for a netball team or picking you last in sports and all of them things are forms of rejection yeah absolutely and, and all of them things do play a part in your life going forward absolutely and I can totally get that as well you can see you taking your back I've done a lot of work on the inner child as well yeah and a I've lot of that, yeah. 
load stems from that, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, loads does. And also trauma and um, trauma at an early age. And that can be trauma in the form of like seeing a car accident happen in front of you or seeing somebody getting beaten up or, you know, witnessing something. It doesn't mean so it has to be trauma that's personally been inflicted upon you. It's all trauma and trauma based stuff just leaves you in a space as well. And you're within your inner child stuff leaves you within a space that, that changes and moulds your personality as you grow. Absolutely. So at 14, you were catapulted into stardom as, you know, one of the Mitchells in EastEnders. <laughs> what was yeah. that like going into the first day of work? I was 15, coming up 16 on, I went into the show and I literally put my pen down on my history exam, put my hand up so I had to go to my last casting. And they saw 1,500 girls for the part and it went over six months. Right. And then it got down to the last three and I remember going for the last three and then they literally rang me that night biked a script over and I was on set at eight o'clock the next morning and um, wow. <laughs> I didn't really know what to expect because back then we'd only just launched channel four for any of your younger viewers that are listening we didn't have mobile phones or internet and stuff you know we used to get a magazine every week that was like just, just 17, 17 or yeah. <laughs> yeah you know or Miz or whatever and it was like it was all exciting we used to read magazines that had photo stories in like love stories and stuff you know so it was like it was different. It wasn't like today where we've got Instagram and everybody's, you know, wanting to look like someone or wear this certain trainer. It was different. So our influences did come a lot from television yeah. and pop stars and things like that. Um, but where I've been in the industry for so long, I didn't really think much about it. But I remember walking onto set and thinking, wow, I'm in Albert Square. Yeah. And it, and it was like, wow. And I met the boys and the boys were cool, like Phil and Grant and stuff. And I was just like, I, was, I thought I was, you know, I've grown up at 15. Yeah, so I know everything, but I was nervous doing that first day. Um, and it sort of just flew from there. And Sid and I formed a great relationship on and off screen, the best of friends. We still are today, oh. like, like nearly what are we 30 odd years? Yeah, 30 odd years on 32 years down the line, and we're still friends, still speak. I spoke ah. weeks ago, yeah, you know, and and we just sort of grew up in front of the nation. And, and in doing so, as, as any teenager, we made our mistakes and we made them publicly. Absolutely. Um, so how did life change from, from putting that pen down in your exam to being an EastEnders star? Well, I'd already done quite a lot of work, but I was already still just 15. So, you know, I, I still had to answer to me, mum and dad. I still had to be in at a certain time. You know, I still yeah. met my mates on a Wednesday and went to youth club and all that stuff, you know, and, and stuff. But I was going up, out doing stuff and suddenly I was out at, on red carpets and you know, I was hanging out with George Michael and going on holidays and doing stuff like that with him and other people and having a great life. And my friends that are a year above me at school were just going to college, you know, yeah. my local friends. So I'd be I'd be calling them, you know, and saying, oh, come out, come out tonight. I'm going to so and so, I'm going to this club in London and, you know, George Michael's coming and this one's coming and da-da-da-da-da. And they were like, I can't, I've got to go to college in the morning. I haven't got any money. I'm like, I'll pay for you. And, yeah. it, and they, my friends aren't one of them that are just go along for the rides, like my good friends yeah. that I've grown up with. So I didn't lose them, but in the, at the same time, I respected that they couldn't go in that to go to college. And I gained a lot of freeloaders in around, yeah. and around those cl that club scene and leeches. And that's really where most of the problems started for me because my life did change dramatically. So it was just really getting in with the wrong crowd. And you just know your best interest. I was earning a hell of a lot of money. And like mm. I said, my parents were normal people. They wouldn't, they didn't know what it was like to earn two or three thousand pounds a week. And back then, that was talking 30 odd years ago, that was a lot of money to be given a 16 year old. Absolutely. It still is today. You know, it still is today. So, 
you know, <clears throat> I had, you know, designer clothes, this, that, a 17, I bought a brand new 325 IM tech convertible. You know, and my mum just went mad when I come home with this car. She was like, what the hell have you bought that for? You're going to kill yourself. And but I was you like, wanted well, I to do it. it. I paid for it yeah. outright. I bought it, you know, I sort of go, well, we can be told to buy. I thought I was an adult. I thought I was, you know, boss at everything. But yeah. I wasn't. My mum thought she, she wasn't being horrible. She just thought that is way too powerful for a kid of 17. She was looking but, you out know, for you. Yeah, of course. I mean, most of my friends were lucky to get, you know, a beetle convert, you know, a little beetles back in the day, the old ones, the bugs. And there's me flying about in a brand new BM, you know, and but because I worked for it, I thought, oh well, I, was, I could buy it, I could do it. But really, I just had too much too soon. Was, was there any support offered to you? Being in, being thrust into stardom and working for the BBC, did they support you in any way because you was young? Yeah, they tried their best to support us and guide us the best way they could, and so did all the older cast members. But, you know, there was just no telling me at times, especially by the time I got into being an addict. I mean, it was like there was no telling me. Because, you know, I've been working in this industry for nine years old, so all I know is to sit down in a makeup chair, have my hair makeup done, and people treat you a certain way. And if people are going to allow... If you're going to be allowed to be treated a certain way, mm. you know, you're going to take full advantage of that, aren't you? Absolutely. So when so, was you yeah. first introduced <laughs> to drugs? Um, I was first introduced to drugs when I was abused as a child um, within the industry. So I can't really talk about it too much because I've got another court case going on now due to a certain person. But, um, yeah, I was first introduced to sedatives and drugs then. And then when I got into the club scene at, like, 15, 16, the cocaine was a big deal at mm. that time um everybody it was like the yuppie drug and everybody was doing it um so yeah that's when I was first introduced to it and I think I was I thought everybody thought I was really confident but actually I really wasn't and I think that stems from like all my friends not being able to do what I could do I was confident around my mates but then my mates that I grew up with didn't do that yeah because like I said they went to college and they did they didn't have the money for that sort of stuff so it was a di two different lives it was like leading two different lives and you know, that sort of, I thought, gave me the confidence to, to be a certain way, but it wasn't that case at all. It just was killing me. Was it an escapism for you? Um, yeah, I think it was an escapism and, and it, was, um, it, was a, um, it was a masquerade, if you like. It was like putting on a mask to yeah. pretend to, and it gave me the confidence in trying to be somebody I wasn't because when I was around my normal mates that I grew up with, that I, you know, that I'm still friends with today, we didn't do that. We might have a couple of vodka lime and sodas and be out of our Louis Vuitton bags and our hair all blowed and all lovely and having a giggle, checking out boys and stuff. But we certainly, I mean, if I'd have turned around to one of them and said about a nine o'clock, God, they would have absolutely fell off the floor because they would have thought, you know, to them that was like taking heroin. That would have been like the worst thing in the world. They were just still hiding their 20 silk car from their mum, you know? So, yeah. you know, it was a two different lives. So to me, it was like, one was like, this stardom life and the other one was just a normal girl life and it was just so hard between the two and I think that's where a lot of my trauma and bipolar issues came into play because as also being an actor I was just sort of confused between who I was because at the same time you're yeah. still growing up you're still maturing aren't you yeah absolutely and it's a big responsibility to have on your shoulders yeah huge huge um yeah and also you get everywhere you go everyone knew who you was do you know what, Daniela? So many people say as well, oh, you know, cocaine's a recreational drug, you can take it's it not, or leave it. What's not, your no, take on it? No drug is. I mean, there is no, there is no, there is no chemical solution to a problem of addiction. There is, there is no, the only solution is complete abstinence. 
you yeah. know it's like it's like they say oh, if you're an addict if you're addicted to this take this tablet no I don't believe in that I believe it's completely you have to work a 12-step program you have to have completely abstain from taking any form of, of substance when you did the start interfering with your work life by the time I was I would say by the time I was 19 20 it was having an effect on me. Yeah, huge, huge effect. Because also I had a huge amount of pressure from being, you know, only four channels on the TV. We're on TV twice a week, 30 million people tuning in to watch us get married and stuff like that. I was everywhere. I was on every cover of magazines and did it. And I just didn't know, you know, I was treated very special. And it was... You were a massive, massive star. Yeah, and it was everywhere. Yeah, drugs were everywhere. And it was just, it took me over. And, you know, you see, I see that now, I sit in NA meetings and I always think to myself when, you know, when you sit in a circle of people at a meeting, um, it doesn't matter if you spent 100 grand a week, 100 grand a year or 100 pound a year. If that substance or whatever you're taking is becoming a problem in your life, then it's an issue. And when you sit around in that circle, none of us are any greater or less than anyone else, no matter what money you spent. If it's causing a problem in your life, it's a problem. And that's the same with any drug. Mm-hmm. for anybody you know and it's it will bring you to your knees no matter who you are you will never be a drug addiction it, it will it will always beat you if you don't give it up so you were the biggest soap star in the country as you just said 30 million people tuning in to watch you in your show and you got with probably one of the biggest but one a guy from one of the biggest boy bands of the time as well he's 17 Yep, I'm not allowed to talk about him i've got a police court case going on against him now at the moment so i can't talk about it um, so that was another thing that your relationship was in the papers. You were yeah, in I mean, the papers. I went out with Robbie Williams as well, you know. Go so. away. Yes, I did. <laughs> I didn't know that. Did you not? There's, no. there's some old press pictures out there, me and Robbie floating around somewhere. Um, yeah, I went out with Robbie for a while. Yeah, you know. He's um, been open as well about people. his addiction issues, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's great. He's got a great recovery system, you know, and he's, he's been, I mean, so great. I've been so blessed along the way. I've met some great people, Russell Brand, and people that I've met in recovery that have just rocketed my recovery because of their nuggets of wisdom, you know. And, and also it's such a support of community. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, there's one just in Liverpool alone is Recovery Walks in Liverpool who are just phenomenal. I mean, when I lived up there, that, that their support network was phenomenal. And there's also free, Sharp do a free recovery centre in Liverpool for people of Liverpool. You can go there and get free reco- free treatment. I so do a recovery up. thing. You see, I own abstinence-based accommodation. Um, oh, do you? Yeah, I own a company called Vitality Homes and we work with people who Brilliant. are just coming out of prison and people who suffer from addiction and we get them back into the community, get them jobs. That's my and- dream, to do something like that. Yeah, and you know what, Daniela, it's been really successful, but at the same time, it's been a massive eye-opener for me as well, because we've had addiction issues through my family, my husband suffered from addiction, my two brothers suffered from addiction, and you know, when you're looking at somebody, yeah, it's just so common now. It touches everybody, it's like, every other person almost you speak to, it's like a cancer, it's just awful, I mean, and I think the lockdown, I've seen more people in lockdown break and become um, more people that wasn't drinking and becoming alcoholics and stuff during lockdown mental yeah. health suffering you know recovery and people go oh recovery it's airy fairy listen the best of the best people are in recovery 
it can happen to and anybody, that, Daniela. Any listen, from any walk of life, it happens to anyone. I mean, you're a big star. It happens to you. Doesn't matter. It can happen to the guy next door. Yeah, exactly. I've seen solicitors, really professional people. It happens to anybody, and it's not a stigma, and it's nothing to be ashamed of anymore as well. And I think that because it has been so open, and people like yourself have come out and said, "Yeah, I've suffered from it." It isn't a stigma. Yeah, I mean, look at Lee Butler. Lee Butler's fantastic. His story is amazing. And he's always he's so brilliant. about recovery. He's fucking amazing. And yet he still works in, in an industry, goes in, DJs, plays. That shows you how strong someone's recovery is. Do you know what? I think his wife's been a massive support to him as well. I mean, mm. she's really helped him out. And I think and the support definitely. network he'd have around you, you know, is That's so right. vital. So you've been in his centres. You've got, you've, you're suffering from addiction. When, mm-hmm. how did it come to light with your bosses? It was blatantly obvious because you can just see, because when you look at somebody that's on drugs, you can just see in their eyes, the spark's not there. Their yeah. eyes are very dull. They're not sparkly. I, other than the normal sy- symptoms of being off, you, you know, off your cake, it's like, you know, you're just, you're just not there. You're, game, you're not on top of your game. You're not, you're just not you anymore, are you? So when and you terminated your contract, what, where did you go from there? Um, I went to YTV. Yeah. Straight no, into I mean, job. Really, in looking at it now, in a in a grand scheme of things, it really didn't. BBC only got rid of me to give me. I think I was the first person that they'd ever come across like that, yeah. and so publicly, and then they didn't know what else to do. Um, so they got rid of me, and ITV picked me up for another TV show mm-hmm. um, because the BBC were very good and they tried to keep it all quietly. Yeah, <laughs> excuse me. Um, and they did it really to give me a kick up the ass, but. Because I was, you know, obviously at that time speak, treated as special and different and quite hot property, ITV picked me up and run with another show, which was obviously was going to end up with Domino effectively messing that up as well. Yeah. Which I did. <coughs> um, sorry, <coughs> I'm coughing away. Um, so, you know, I didn't really learn from that huge, you know, lightning bolt that the BBC gave me because somebody else picked me up and used me for another job because they didn't so not a change for you did it nothing it's just really you're working in a different but in role. hindsight looking back at it 32 years on the bbc were trying to help me get better because yeah. what they were doing they felt was just you know adding to the problem by keeping me on and and making me earn money they wanted me to go away and get better and you know but back then it was a different time and we didn't know really about treat i'd never heard of treatment centers and stuff no and places like that whereas now it's so openly you know, out there that people know. There's a lot of help now. But back then, I mean, my family had never had an addict in the family. They didn't know yeah. what to do. They were beside themselves. They just thought they were going to get a phone call at three in the morning that I was dead and I couldn't be told anything. When was the they point where you thought, when you hit rock bottom, Dan, where you thought, oh, I've got to make a change in my life? Um, I've had a few of those moments. I've had a few moments. I think when I was pregnant with my daughter and I'm... I was living. I was living in in the Docklands in the city by the Shard up that way, mm-hmm. um, and I kept having convulsions, cocaine convulsions, mm-hmm. where the air wasn't going to my brain. Um, and then the doctor said to me, "Listen, my son had got a chicken box, and then I sent him to his dad's because I was pregnant. Ironically, because I was pregnant with my daughter, um, I said mm-hmm. he can't. I can't have the baby with me because I'm pregnant with a chicken box, but yeah. I was still using stupidly enough. Um, and then I had a couple of fits, and my my um, doctor said listen you've got about three weeks to live all your organs are giving up this child's never going to survive oh my god 
And I literally needed help there and then. And Cheryl Barrymore and Michael's late Cheryl Barrymore, Michael Barrymore's wife was my agent. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> she got me, she spoke to a few people. No one would fly me, not one airline would help me. And Richard Branson was the only person that would help. And he got me a flight on a Virgin Atlantic flight out to Arizona. My ex-husband paid for me to go over. Um, oh. And I went out to Arizona and I was there for nearly six months between there and Florida in treatment. And that's when my life changed. I just thought, I can't lose this child. I can't do it. I have a son that I, is my life. Yeah. And still to this day, both of my kids are like my, as, as any mother, yeah. is my life. And I just thought, I'm not doing it. So, yeah, that was it, really. I just got on that plane and I still, you know, three weeks there and I still kicked against it. I thought I knew everything. I think that's part of it, isn't it? it, it you know, you, there's two people in your brain. So I always wear yeah. like the chimp pad is up. So you've got the computer and you've got the human. Yeah. And it's the addictions telling you, no, 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 constantly. It's constantly at you, isn't it? Telling you, no, no, you you need me. You need me. You, you know, you want to take me. So I you think know it's, what? A, it's, it's a battle. It's, yeah, even today, right, in recovery today, and I'm, I'm quite, you know, I'm lucky that I'm back in recovery and back doing stuff. It's like my addict will sneak up on me any which way it can. Yeah. Even to the point of if I can't be bothered to get up and train during the day, mm-hmm. right? It goes, oh, don't train, stay in bed. Let your depression kick in. Let this happen. And, it, and you can feel it coming in. It will seep into your veins any which way it can. And you have to just be on top of your game from the minute your eyes open. That's why I always say recovery, your program, your gratitude list, speaking to your sponsor, helping others, being of service, all of them things has to come before anything in my day. Because what happens, how do you go when, when, you, when you have stress? So, do you know, like, so triggers, so if something stressful comes along, how do you deal with that? Um, do you know what I do? If something stressful comes along, I just stop for a minute. Like, if whatever whatever it is, I'll say, listen, can I get back to you? Give me 10 minutes, can I get back to you? Or give me okay. like an hour, whatever, can I get back to you? I'll put the phone down, I'll write down in my book or a bit of paper, wherever I am, whatever I've got, I've always got my my diary that in my bag and I'll write down the situation I'll do four columns so I'll write down the problem what the problem is what my part of it is right and how I'm going to deal with and how I think I'm going to deal with it then I'll ring my son I'll ring my sponsor first then I'll ring my son and my daughter or we've got a whatsapp group and my mum we've got a family whatsapp group my brother and that for anything for everything and I'll say this this and this happening this is what I'm going to do and one of them will go don't god you say don't do that and they yeah. say, do this. And we've guaranteed within the hour the problem sorted, which means I don't have to fall out of the massacre with the family when I use my addict's head of going off and arming at people. Yeah. And then I go back and do that. And then during the day, like I wake up in the morning, I do 10 things I'm grateful for. Before I even get out of bed, I text my sponsor the 10 things I'm grateful for. And it can be anything right, on a group WhatsApp that she of her sponsors. And then every night, I do the four column things. So I do resent my what I call resentment on my shit list, resentments, right? Things that yeah. have happened in the day. And it could be something stupid, like someone's pulled out on me or someone jumped the queue on me or someone was rude or made a comment. So I do what's annoyed me, what my part of it was, what I could have done differently is the third column and then what have I learned from that? Okay. So that I'm always constantly renewing my behaviour and checking myself. So really... Yeah, it's just a way of, of, you know, and none of us are perfect. And I still make sometimes the same mistake over and over in my attitude, but it's constantly there. And then I meditate a lot. I manifest things, you know, I'm into all that side of stuff. And I just don't today. I don't let negative energy around me. I just don't do it. I just won't have it. It's just certain people that you can't be around. 
not even that. It's just certain things I won't watch on TV. I, I choose what I watch on telly, what I listen to music-wise, what information I put into my body. I give myself a brain diet. Okay, because, that's good. Yeah, you have to, because otherwise you could be on Instagram constantly. I hand my social media over constantly to, to like my like media team hand that over and I'll send over bits throughout the day and they'll post them up and do whatever and my things that I write. The only thing I do write every day is I normally put one picture up and a quote from my recovery diary up yeah. for helping people. And I will help people, get back to people on Instagram and help them when they're in need of help and, and answers about meetings and recovery. That's fine. Other than that, I don't I don't follow people that are negative. If someone posts things that I find negative or that are bitchy or... Just, you know, like silly things people are posting recently when the Queen lost her husband and that, different things. I think I don't find that stuff funny, so I just, not that I've got any disrespect to them. That's my brain diet. I just, I'm following. Yeah, good girl. Good girl. That's You're being quite... at the moment, you know. Fantastic. You've been quite vocal as well about, you know, you in the past you've had suicidal thoughts and, you know, yeah. you've really suffered with your mental health. How have you recovered from that? How did you get through them times where you, you just wanted to end it all? Do you know what? I don't know how I got through them. I just, I just, I just think my higher power, and I did get through them. And um, I think once you put down your addiction, things become clearer. It takes twenty-eight days to form a problem, twenty-eight days to break one. That's why I always say twenty-eight days in in treatment is never enough. You need three months because yeah. after the first twenty-eight days, you've only just got rid of the problem. Like you put down the problem. After that, then you can start rebuilding and, and learning and peeling back the onion if you like. So I just constantly, like I said, I just getting through things. I just think, I, I just think spiritually, I've just been picked up and moved out of the way of things. It wasn't meant for me to do them things, and I've learned that I was very stupid and very selfish to do them things. And and today, you know, life, you only get one chance at life, and you just got to try and go for it. And and when you so are feeling that shot. way, you've got you've got to reach out. I mean, I couldn't. I don't feel ashamed at reaching out to people today, whereas I would never ask for help. But look at my way. It never works. Look where it got me. So today, if I do need help with something, I will pick the phone up and I will reach out because I couldn't be any more ashamed than the shame I put myself through during what I was using. Yeah, absolutely. You've been, you come out years later as well and, you, you know, you told everyone that you'd been gang raped and you got abducted by yep. drug dealers. Did you do that to help other people and to raise awareness? No, I did it for myself because I, I would use on that. Okay. Every time I've gone back and relapsed, um, things that would trigger me, I would think about them things and I would use them. And selfishly, I would use them because I okay. wanted to, because I wanted to use. Um, and so this time around, certain things that I that I had kept to myself, if you like, as my yeah. treasures of using on, if you, if you sort of understand me, of yeah. privacy and things I was ashamed about, but I could use on. This time around, I thought, no, 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 that addict's not going to get me with them shameful things. I'm laying it all out there. Because once I've voiced it, it's become real and it's open and it's vocal and then I can't use on that. Because oh, I've been given help for it. I've had therapy. Did anyone get brought to justice for that, for that time? Um, yeah, people have been. And like the child abuse thing, I've, I've done all that years ago. Um, with with the the operation nutrient and all that stuff and I gave all my information but I just chose like any other rape victim I chose to keep my stuff personal because I do have children and yeah. the people that have been abusers also have families and sisters brothers mothers fathers aunties uncles whatever they don't need it either just because that one person has done that thing to me why should the whole family fall down the, That's magnanimous of you to be able to say, do you know what? I don't want to hear people. Even though you've been here, you're still protecting people. That. 
because I've got kids and I yeah. don't want them to hear have to have, have it brought up on them all the time, you know, as well. And it's like, as long as that one person gets brought to justice, which they have been, and people have gone to prison, and it's a long time ago, a lot of them people are now dead, but like, you know, old age and things like that. They were very old people when I was young, when I was in my teens and, and 10, 11, 12 years old. This is like 60, 70 year old men and stuff. So, you know, they're, they're not here anymore. But all of those things are logged and accounted for, and, and that helped me move forward as well. Um, and I just think it's it's so brave and like when you go to talk to somebody about that it's so hard for the police for someone to get that through CPS a, a rape charge and stuff through and it's so hard on the victim but I, I don't say Absolutely. I'm a victim of any of them things I would say that you're a survivor of those things you're a survivor and you can go on and help somebody else that's a lovely way to look at it you have to be you've been on quite a lot of it. celebrity shows as well what's it like being oh i want to do strictly so badly next yeah, year <laughs> that's my dream um did you yeah i would love to i want to do it next year but i did big brother was fantastic i loved it what's been your fave one uh dance on ice oh was it yeah because I got to wear all sparkly stuff and I got to learn to skate and I can land on one leg and be thrown all over the place. And I loved it. Oh, so, yeah, amazing. that was my favourite. But my dream is to do Emmerdale and that's what my goal is at the moment. Okay. And have you got any, uh, have you got your feelers out, anyone? Well, no, I've started my surgery. I start surgery in May to rebuild my face um, from the okay. osteoporosis and all that stuff. So all my nose will be straight and my teeth and stuff. All my, I've got to have a metal plate in where the osteoporosis, the bone's not there on my cheek. Um, so I've got to have a metal plate. So I've got four or five like, stages of surgery that Dr. Khan's doing for me up in London. Um, obviously, I'll be documenting all of that as well um, Good. for people, for a documentary, because it's reconstructive. He actually built, rebuilt the face of a kid that lost his face to shrapnel that was out in Afghan. Um, mm. So I'm, I'm doing directing as well. I have a friend of mine, Lee Salisbury, so I'm doing a junior director course. So I want to go on and do stuff like that. But I'm doing all of my surgery and I'm self, you know, I'm healed from the inside out and now it's time to do the outside. I did the herbal life and all that stuff. That's changed me. I feel amazing. I train a lot harder. And really what I want to do alongside the acting is I want to do the sort of thing you do is women empowerment, empowerment and recovering and giving people a second chance in life. Absolutely. Because everyone needs it and everybody deserves it as well. Yeah, of course, of course. Everyone needs it. Even when we elevate us and we get to a certain level, we need to always put our hand down and reach us and pull up as many people as we can to of our course. level and help people grow. Do you of know course. what? I know if you'd had all your time again, what was the what's the main thing you do differently apart from drugs? Um, what's the main thing I do differently apart from drugs? What would you, if you say there's a young girl out there and she's, oh, she's thinking, you know, I want to be a star. And I think I'd I like myself. I think I'd like myself. I think I would I would stop looking at idols and actually like and nurture the person I was because I was always good enough. So does that mean you felt like you wasn't good enough? No, I always felt like I was striving to be more thin or better or this or a best dancer or the best this. I'd, I'd probably give myself a bit of a break. Yeah, and absolutely. just be a kid and just be the age I was and just enjoy their moments because deep down inside of us, we're all worth it and we're all good enough. And we've got, absolutely. I, I, I just have to stop comparing myself to, to this film star or that person when I was young because I'm not her, she's her and I'm me and I'm good enough. Have you forgiven yourself? 
Yeah, I agree with a million percent. Yeah. This time round, a million percent. I, I really think that's have. a big part of your recovery, isn't it? Being able yeah, to say I huge. accept it. I accept all of my mistakes. I don't I don't like them, but I accept them. I accept the reasons why. And I also, do you know what else I accept today is I accept that and this is a big thing because ego does kill you. That's what takes you back. That's what pulls you out of the room to back to relapse. But today I accept that just because I'm on a certain page, it doesn't mean to say people I've hurt and my family, like when it comes to step four, making amends and doing stuff like that to people, is yeah. doesn't mean to say they're ready to hear it. So I have to accept that. It's not on my terms today, life. It has to be everybody's going at their own pace and you have to respect that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But you know what, Dan, you sound like, you know, you sound like you're in a great place. You know, yeah, you're, you're focused, you're driven. And you know yeah, what? I'm and is yeah, your I'm girl to get on Emmerdale now? Yeah, I'd love to get on Emmerdale. That would be just amazing for me. It'd be the best thing in the world. That and Strictly and I'll be home and drive. <laughs> absolutely. It's all absolutely. So are you getting back into acting? You're having your surgery. What's yeah. next? Um, yeah, I think that will be probably the end of this year, hopefully, once my surgery's done. You know, that's what I want to do. Um, I'd like to do, I'm doing a counselling course as well. Um, I'm still doing all that online because I do want to be able to do therapy and help people um, of drug and alcohol addiction. So that would be another thing I do. If the acting doesn't work out, then I would just carry on doing stuff within a recovery-based and, you know, lifestyle. And that's really what I want to do. What I'll always be, be giving some of, of that. What would be the best piece of advice you could give to anyone who wants to get into acting? Oh, the best piece of advice, you would do it for the love and not for the money. Do it for the love and not for the money. And if you and if you're I always think what if if it's for you, it won't pass you by. So if you don't get that job, it won't for you. And what's the you know? best piece of life advice you could give Dan? Best piece of life you can uh, advice I can give is uh there's a few things I could say to that, but I think every day is a new day and, and we all write our own life stories So make yours, you know, a bestseller, make it a, a happy ending. You know, every mistake, if you, every mistake you make, be honest with, be open with, accept it and, and, and learn from it and grow from it. Oh, do you know what, Daniela? You're really inspirational because you've had such a bumpy road, but you're still positive. You're still getting there out there. So do you know what, everyone all across the Wales and especially in Liverpool we all wish you the very very best of luck never you, ever ever change my love and keep it doing what you're doing we send you love and good luck Daniela thank you my darling lots of love lots of love my love thanks for coming Take on care. bye darling bye, bye.